Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hoth. And each week on The Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Nick Grantham. Nick has become recognized as a specialist in athletic preparation and has helped athletes at all levels achieve their personal goals and ambitions. Nick has worked in high-performance sport for more than 20 years and has an extensive experience of long-term athlete development. As a lead strength and conditioning coach to nothing governing bodies, home institutes and professional teams, Nick has been responsible for the management, development and delivery of integrated physical preparation strategies for a wide range of sports. And not forgetting, he's also the author of the book, You're Hired, an insider's guide to becoming a strength and conditioning coach. So welcome on to the show, Nick. Cheers, James. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. And obviously for you and I, this is now the second time uh, of meeting in, in this fashion because you were on my very, very, very first show, which I was thought yeah. I'd never see the day the light of day, which people will now get to see and I have to pull the, put the ego to set aside and obviously they can then see the video, the video format of the episode I did with you for, I think it's about four years ago, if I'm memory serves. Four, four or five years ago, I think it was, it was, it was an early, early one for you, James, definitely. Well, it's an ever, ever, it's an ever, ever evolutionary process and people can see where I started from with podcasting. So if we hit, it straight off the bat then nick ultimately yeah. i've i've done a deep dive on your website where does this shared ambition for you come from um i think having having been um part of a, a competitive family um brothers both both in in sport we were in sport quite a sporty family um and then I think myself going on and competing um, in, in Taekwondo for a number of years um, to, to then work behind the scenes, you, you have a, I have a certain amount of empathy with the athlete. So when it's a hard training session, I've experienced those hard training sessions when someone's been dropped from a squad or not made the cut for a team that's happened to me. And the flip side, when you've been selected, I've been there, I've had injuries Um so I, I think I feel that I, I I really do. It's not just a nine to five job for me, you know. So if I'm preparing an athlete or a team, you are invested in them. You're invested in the results that they get, and when they win, it, it's great, and you share those emotions. Equally, I'm I'm a fairly bad loser, although I'm getting better, I think. But I can think of times when teams have lost, and you know, you you feel that as well maybe not to the same extent as the athlete you know because they're going through that and, it, and it's very raw for them but you know you certainly get that emotional roller coaster and when a player gets injured um you know 
you you really feel for them because you know what that means potentially to their career and and um, their prospects. So I, I do have that sort of sharing ambitions. If an athlete wants to do something, then I'm going to stand shoulder to shoulder with them and, and do my utmost to facilitate that and, and help them be as, as good as they can be. So, um, And if we go to an extreme now, Nick, have you ever lost sleep over some of those outcomes? I think... Um, I think some, there are times definitely when um, you reflect back on um, injuries or maybe a training methodology that you put in place and and you will second guess yourself, you know, and um, I, I'm, I'm getting better. I've got, it sounds quite deep, but I've got into stoicism, started reading quite a lot of books on stoicism. Um, the Daily Stoic is a really good one by Ryan, Ryan Holiday. Um, uh, and sorry, his is called the obstacle is the way, and then, and then there's uh, the daily stoic, and that that's about you know staying a little bit more level with, with your emotions and and enjoying the highs and enjoying the lows, but you know and, and reflecting on what you've done, but ultimately not going too deep down into that state of like you say losing sleep and, and navel gazing and and worrying too much. So certainly, if you're at a team or with a with a club. And there's a there's a run of injuries or there's a run of defeats or you know someone questions the way that they're being conditioned. I think as a practitioner, you, you have to be open to um, input from other people and, and to be questioned. Um, and you certainly do look at that. And I guess you you, you might lose some sleep over it. I, I certainly think deeply about it and, and question my own practice. Um, but ultimately, you know nine times out of 10, I'd back myself with what I've done. You know, there will always be occasions when you look and say, actually, maybe in hindsight, we could have, could have done it slightly differently. Um, Hindsight's a great thing because you've always got all the answers in hindsight. And one of the first coaches I worked with, Lynn Gunson at netball, she always used to say to me, Nick, have you done the best given the circumstances that you're faced with? And that's always resonated really strongly with me whenever I go forward, look at what I've, the situation I've been faced with. Have I done the best that I can? If it's gone well, brilliant. If it hasn't gone done well, it hasn't gone to plan. Did I do the best I could? And if, if I did, then I, I, I think you can then get a good night's sleep. Obviously it's a controversial question um, with this one. Do you think obviously being a strength and conditioning or anyone dealing with professional teams from, injury pre- prevention do you think it, the pandemic for sports has been a blessing in disguise because ultimately it's given chance for i use manchester united because it's obviously my team favorite team for football they were decimated by injury before lockdown mm-hmm. do you think it enables your profession the, the the physios the doctors to get the team to their well, to the state that they're at now, they haven't lost a game in, uh, I think it's over 10, 10 games now. Do you think that's kind of been a blessing in disguise, even though um, loads of people have unfortunately lost their lives? Yeah, yeah. So I can't, so I was going to say, I was going to, I was going to, um, proceed my answer with, with that fact. Look, you, you know, um, a, a global pandemic with thousands of, of deaths, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'd, I'd ever call that a blessing but i i kind of know what, what you're what you're suggesting is is that is that enforced 
break in a season where a team is faced with injuries has has that allowed them the opportunity afforded them the opportunity to come back stronger i think um it's a difficult one to say for, for sure um what i do know is that um teams that have gone into the lockdown um have faced different challenges so you know they've not been able to train um they've not been able to follow their their usual regimes and programs so on on the one hand you're given some time additional time for recovery but then i know firsthand that there are significant limitations with be you know, speaking to colleagues of what you're actually able to do with fit players as well as as injured players so um it it's it's a difficult one i think it some some teams have come out of of lockdown really well across all sports um and and others haven't i think we'll probably need a, a little bit more time um once we get back to normality to actually dig down and and what it would be really interesting to understand okay so as you say if if manchester united came back in a seemingly stronger position what was that down to what did they do during that period and during their sort of their mini preseason and equally teams that have come back looking to make that bounce but haven't had that reaction you know what is it that they did differently um so yeah I'm, i've not got a definitive answer for you um uh I'm, i just think it was probably more challenging than it was was a blessing if 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 anything and do you think obviously with the olympics and paralympics being postponed mm-hmm. that has been a weight lifted off a multitude of people's shoulders, be it the athletes, the uh, support staff, and kind of say, we, well, we've got now, uh, what is it, give or take, 14 months, maybe for the Paralympics, I think probably 12 months for the Olympics. Do you think it's obviously, it's still challenging with the, having to be very much ever, evolutionary and adaptable because ultimately there's still going to be a minefield to 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 navigate but you think with having that kind of ultimatum where they've made a decision and nothing was really versus it being in the beginning it was up in limbo or will will we we, won't we compete in 2020 and then obviously athletes some came out and spoke about it and say well it's making me restless giving me a restless night's sleep because ultimately my preparations aren't ideal let alone perfect. Yeah. So I think um, I think with any anything going through this period of time, and you can relate it to other aspects, is when when there's um, a sense of confusion, when there isn't clarity, that's really difficult to deal with. So I think we've seen that it, both play out in, in the public sector, but certainly in the sport arena. And, and I agree when. When you've got athletes that were preparing to be probably going on holding camps around about now, um, in, in and they're there in March, not knowing, am I going to have to adjust my training program? Should I be training more? Should I be training less? Should I go? To, you know, there's so much uncertainty. I think that's when it is very difficult to to deal with it when there's that level of confusion. So I think when a decision is made and whether you agree with the decision or disagree with the decision, at least you then have clarity. And when you have clarity, I think it's then easier to, to start planning. Now, it, the, there's going to be people 
that were probably jumping for joy when the Olympics were postponed and Paralympics were postponed because it's like, do you know what? I've got an injury or my training hasn't been going so well. I've got another chance or I've missed out on selection. Um, and for, for some people, this will be an opportunity for them to, you know, get a second chance. Um, but equally, there will be a lot of athletes, I'm sure, who have kind of reached their peak. Um, and this 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 year, 2020, certainly in some sports where there's a there's a real um, early specialisation, you know, they might not have the opportunity to be able to compete next year. You know, um, so I think it, it, it's like most things, James. There's going to be there's going to be some people that are winners and some people that are, that are losers. But at least you have clarity on the situation. You know, it's not happening now. It's going to be next year. So revise your schedules uh, and, and, and go again. But do you think it, for, for, for like it going into the future, it's going to better prepare the athletes because ultimately this is an extreme. Nothing is going to come close to that, even in the worst case scenario. Yeah. So I think um, it's interesting talking to, not just athletes, but other other people in, in general population about how they've coped with the the unpredictability. So one of the things as a coach, we always talk about planned unpredictability. Um, so we we sort of we have our plans, but we recognise that those plans are going to shift and going to change. Um, and I think that again, there will be some athletes, and maybe from particular sports where it's a very relatively straightforward sport. You know, it's a go from point A to point B, and if we do if we do X, Y, and Z, we get this result. So I think people that are used to that very sort of formulaic way of training um, and an input-output type approach, they they may have struggled more with this kind of unpredictable um, situation as opposed to athletes that are maybe used to having slightly less um, structure within their within their program. So I think that that goes for coaches as well you know coaches both technical as well as um backroom staff and athletes you're gonna have some people that love to have structure and want to know exactly what day we're training what the sessions sets reps loads are and if there's any deviation from that they struggle and then there's others that cope with a little bit more ambiguity And and i know certainly over the last sort of decade i've tried to find ways to build in more autonomy for the athlete to make choices and decisions about how their week shapes up and what type of training they do. And I think that allows them to then to be a more flexible and adaptable athlete, both in their training, but also on the court um, or, or field of play. Cause you often find, again, you often, you said about before about robots versus humans, you know, I think there can be times when we create very robotic um, athletes that, that run the play, run the play, run the play, but aren't able to then make changes and adaptations based on how the opposition change or even the circumstances within, within the stadium, you know, um, changes in scheduling, changes in um, lineups, you know. So I think, you know, one positive that may come out of this is that athletes have had to, and, and coaches have had to adapt their way of working and, deal with planned unpredictability and get comfortable with that with being uncomfortable with not quite knowing exactly what the end date is going to be and if we come to your book nick 
Yeah. What's the reasoning behind that? Yeah, for for your hired. Um, so that that was born out of. Uh, I was getting lots of emails from students, um, young strength and conditioning coaches, and and they were all asking very similar questions. You know, which books do you read? What's a good university to go to? How can I improve my CV? Can you look at my covering letter? And I was responding to each of those individually. And um, I, I still do a lot of that. Um, but I, I just thought there's, there's got to be a, a more time effective way of doing this. You know, I'm getting asked these questions on a weekly basis. Um, and I, I decided to put together the book. Um, and really it's because I, th- I think at the time of writing, I felt that there were graduates coming out that didn't have the skill sets that they needed in terms of to secure a, a position within high performance sport, um, whether that was strength and conditioning or, or sports science, and, and then go on to be an effective practitioner. And that was born out of looking at CVs that they were sending me with that were just below standard, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't even get past the general paper sift. Uh, in terms of spelling and punctuation and, and the way that it was set up. Um, and, and also then being on interview panels, seeing prospective um, employees coming through and just not taking care of basic fundamental details, you know, poorly prepared, not knowing about the organisation, not doing their, their sort of homework. So what I wanted to try and do was actually provide some resources that would say, look, you know, this is, this is how I did it. This is a N of one. I don't come from a standard sort of background. Here's my experiences. And then here's some things that I think you, you can do, um, particularly in terms of planning the career pathway. So coaches, again, are very good at planning other athletes or other coaches' careers, but they don't take care of their own. So people would say, well, I want to work at Premier League Football Club, but have no idea of what the kind of stepping stones and what the process was to get there in five years, they would just think, well, I'm going to graduate and I'll get a job. And what I've tried to do in the, in the book is provide a real framework of where, where young coaches can look at their skill set, look at eight fundamental areas and, and almost well, do a radar plot and you figure out where you, where your gaps are. And then, right. Well, if I'm not very good at communication, I need to work on my communication skills before I worry about, X, Y, and Z. If, I, if I'm not good at working with large groups, but I want to work in a team sport, I need to get myself in front of athletes and, and deliver. So it's it's really giving them a step by step guide, and then also practical advice about um, how to develop a, a, a mentoring sort of group, how to um, look for good internships. Um, it's due a rewrite. Actually, I I do need to update it. It's been it's about five or six years old now, so I want to update it and I and I want to do a a, a companion piece where uh, I, I gather the thoughts of other professionals. So twenty twenty five, maybe thirty other professionals, and, and tell their story because I think there's a real power in knowing the technical stuff, but also seeing that there's thirty different ways of going about it. So you can be the very academic person, you can be the late starter like I was. You can come from a sports route. Um, so uh, there are some plans in my mind to update the first one and, and provide a companion piece for it as well. Well, I can go a step further. I'm quite, I'm, I'm quite happy to, to share this with everybody because ultimately I'm probably one of those people as well because I'm a coach. I can write people's programs. When it comes down to structuring my – I can do the session – 
that without without it. But obviously, the planning behind it uh, could be a little bit better because ultimately, it is probably one of those things that you think of yourself at the back of the queue. It's well, I need to get all these people people uh, things done. Ultimately, you will be impaired by a governing body. I'm being paid by clients. And you do, you do, you do, I, you don't, I don't forego my training because ultimately I need to be in tip top shape. Uh, cause ultimately this is a question when I did market research, I asked people, what do they stand for and what do they stand against? I can do the stand against quite easily, but the stand for is a little bit more challenging for myself. But ultimately what I stand for is probably my overall well being, health. It's paramount. It, 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 irrespective of my job, that is very, very important to me. And that's probably built, I don't know, since I've could walk. And ultimately that's, that's a, probably a moral compass. If I deviate from that, which I have done when I have, uh, worked in education, education for a little bit, I went off the rails and, and people want, they like to know, well, how did you get back on track? I didn't, I didn't write it down because ultimately I lived it very much like I did in sport at the time. It was a process, but I wanted to do it. I took the sacrifices and ultimately reaped more rewards than, than, than the ultimate, uh, uh, down anything negative, but even the best don't, don't, don't hold themselves accountable as best as they can mm-hmm. so nick this is a, this is gonna be a good one for you now okay let me pull it up obviously you've your your first and i've obviously done my homework uh you've <laughs> coached your very first coach uh athlete that you coached did the marathon de sab so you've worked from an athlete that has yeah. done an endurance race in probably one of the hottest environments in the world to coach yeah. in Commonwealth, Olympic, Paralympic, rugby, the Chinese national football team, plus GB men's women, uh, GB men and women's basketball and had the opportunity to gain unrivaled access to leading high performance facilities around the world, including obviously New Zealand rugby, England rugby, Wales rugby, the Olympic training center and even the Birmingham Royal Ballet and the Cirque du Soleil. Out of all of those yeah. that you've been able to work with, what was the most fulfilling and why? In terms of the sports that I've actually worked with, out of, yeah. out of well, we come from both. We'll go with the sports, and then obviously the the, the facilities that you've got to you've yeah. got to work in. So I think in terms of the sports, it, it's it's difficult because you kind of fall in love with every sport that you you work with at that point. So. And I've now found myself just a fan of every sport that you've ever worked with, really. So it's, when the Olympics is on, it's a nightmare because I'm watching everything. Um, having, having worked across 36 different sports, so you end up having a vested interest in, in all of those sports. Um, gymnastics will always hold a really special place in, in my heart because it was my first first real sport that I worked for. Um, and it, it just just awesome athletes to work with you know on the men's side yeah, I, I just really enjoyed my time there um so that that's always going to have a special place um 
I like, do you know what? It's difficult because I, I loved working with netball as well. And again, netball was great because it afforded me to work with two of the best coaches I've ever worked with. Um, and that's really where I cut my teeth as a strength and conditioning coach. And I, I really love that. I think more recently, um, probably one of the most challenging sports I've worked with was uh, downhill mountain biking. And, and again, that, that was, that probably came came to me at a really good time because I'd, I'd worked in what one of my colleagues, Dan Roberts always calls a like, mainstream sports or what he calls quite a straight sort of world and then going to action sports where everything is a little bit more um, unpredictable a little bit more chaotic um, a little bit more feral um, at times um, that really challenged me as a coach because I was kind of the sets and reps guy and, and quite a straight sort of um, standard issue S&C coach but I think what that what I learned there was to loosen up a little bit um, to to accept the unpredictability and the chaotic nature of the way that they prepared and the way that, and, and the nature of their sport um, and adapt my coaching and my delivery accordingly. So yeah, they're, they're some of the, the highlights, um, but it's whichever, whichever sport you're working with at the time is the one you're really passionate about. Um, in, in terms of the facilities that, I, that I've been fortunate to go to, um, I, I think the two that probably stand out for me um, is the Cirque du Soleil in um, Canada? That's that kind of blew my mind when I went to to visit the the, the HQ in Montreal because they called it the, the cir- Circus Factory, and you you travel out there and it's on an industrial estate and it is a sprawling complex. It's it's huge and and getting bigger, and you just see everything's there from start to finish from some kind of pre-production to the conceptual side, the costume design, recruitment of former athletes and turning them into actors and actresses and performers. It's, it's, it, it was fascinating. I, I was, was lucky to spend a couple of days there. Um, and, and I just, I, I loved it. It's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing facility. I, I think the Cirque du Soleil is incredible. Um, and then the, the more recent one is visiting my colleague um, Duncan French at the UFC Center in um, the UFC Performance Institute out in Las Vegas. And I think, you know, what they've done there, and I know some of their other facilities that are very different, almost have a different personality, I guess, if, if a building can have a personality, I think it can. Um, it, the, like the one in Shanghai is different to, to Vegas, but it, it just struck me that, so it, it did look, um, it was brand new. It's a brand new facility. I got to have a look at it when it was on, on opening weekend. Um, but it's not over the top. It's not, it's not too, they've got everything they need. And don't get me wrong. It, it's, it's, it's a beautiful looking facility. It? But it, there's kind of a, a workmanlike quality about it as well. Um, and, and the way that the athletes flow through the building and the way that everything's connected, um, that that strikes me as as a really sort of world leading performance institute um, of, of the modern era, and I think there'd probably be a lot of people looking at those sorts that sort of facility and taking pointers when they're creating their own performance institutes. So from that basis, then Nick, then are you very much or SNC coaches in general when they see these outstanding facilities, a kid in a toy shop? <laughs> You get a little bit excited. I mean, yeah, you probably, I get very envious because I've never worked in a decent one, to be fair. Um, I, um, yeah, I think you, you look at 
what people have got. But facilities are important. Um, but you need to have good people in those facilities, both in terms of support staff, coaching staff, and athletes. So there, there are plenty of athletes that have won world championships and, and Olympic medals that have trained in very sort of down and dirty facilities, you know, with, with not a lot. Um, and, you know, a, a, an amazing facility doesn't always guarantee you um, outstanding performances. And sometimes I think, you know, if you have an outstanding facility and that's all you've ever known as an athlete, there's almost this sense of entitlement. And then what happens is if you're used to the perfect pitch, perfect changing room, perfect gym, everything arrives on time, you've got all your nutrition. When you then are faced with a situation that is unpredictable where, you know, the pitch isn't perfectly manicured or your shake doesn't arrive on time, that will then throw the athlete and the team. So again, I think in terms of building resilience, I think it's whilst having an amazing facility is great. I think you also need to maybe do some of the hard yards as well and not always training in sparkling facilities. Probably come from both of those then to a certain extent, because be it my background, my mother worked for NATO. So I was very fortunate and I give some context for people who don't know what that acronym is, uh, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. So I had, Virtually not twenty four seven gym, but access to. Yeah. And I was speaking to an old teacher of mine yesterday about it. I had whatever facilities I had at at, at my disposable from the age that I could obviously lift. So I probably, on the one hand, could be a little bit complacent, but ultimately, when I did go into the Institute of Sport, be it in Cardiff, in Sophia Gardens, uh, in at Bisham Abbey, um, obviously down in, I'll call it Great, the outskirts of London because I can't remember which county it's in, and don't want to be wrong. I think it's Berkshire. I think it's Berkshire, somewhere like that. It might somewhere be. Buck- it might. It's on the border, but Berkshire, Buckinghamshire. But I can't remember which it's one. Expensive. So, that's for sure to live there. And and then obviously, um, where else have I trained? Uh, Loughborough College. Didn't, didn't unfortunately get a truck, go across the road to Loughborough University's facilities, <laughs> but that's, the gym was all right. Got it, got things done. I've been with volleyball, very basic ones with being based on the university campus of uh, Roehampton University in London. That was very basic, but got things done. So I think I've been spoiled with being in the, the luxury of rowing and all the, the the team the sports that are based out of Bisham that had evolved that was a I say above average one when I first got there yeah. to um before I left it evolved I think it's evolved again since and then obviously we, we discussed off air uh obviously with the social distancing these gyms are going to probably have to adapt again um uh, to obviously get the number of athletes through uh and training safely uh, and as best as they can to prepare for the pinnacle of their lives. I think um, I think one of the things that's also important to recognise is that just as athletes can get sport, I think coaches can get sport as well. So I think that I've definitely seen situations where a young coach has only ever known world class facilities. So they've they've always had full lifting platforms. They've always had 
Aleiko plates and, and the best of everything because they've come from either a, a very established university or through an institute set up. So the first time they go on a training camp and they are in the back of beyond with limited access to kit or, you know, difficult circumstances, they struggle um, because, well, where's my, where's my platform to do? We haven't got one. Okay. Well, where, where can I do my sprint work? Cause we haven't got a track where you can do it in the car park or in the corridor of the hotel. You know, I, I've, we've done sprint sessions with, with uh, GB women basketball in, in a hotel corridor. Um, you know, you, you get done what you need to. Um, so I think it, it works both ways. I think you bring up, uh, bring some good stories of me then. Be it, I'll go back to rowing days because it's, that, that's an extreme that you talked about. Obviously we had training camps in, well, all weather training camps. Uh, so it was a very, very good reprieve from university at times for me personally. But what I, my point is with this is this gym was underneath a swimming pool. So very, very, very hot. And, um, obviously the preparation for Beijing and back or now 12 years ago, but back in 2008, we were there in the summer. So that thing was absolutely roasting, mm-hmm. but it's, it's the best that you've got. It very makes you very, I won't go to the extreme of Rocky S, but almost pretty close. So very, yeah. very different on a different, different planet from training ambition, uh, to going to, probably the other extremes of what you talked about and I'd lost my train of thought with that one but in terms of probably the other extreme of the story and it's completely gone but I can't remember if it comes back to me I will say it but in terms of that's an extreme and then I can't remember what the other one is but hey that's 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 the the moral of the story I think um you know going going back to what you said right at the start about are we like kids in, in a sweet shop we are and i think what we have to be mindful of though is not falling into the trap of always wanting something else the grass is always greener well i want a bigger facility i want a, a new rack i want new kit i want a track i want you know and we we all fall into that trap but i think the key is make the best with the circumstances that you're currently in so if this is your gym this is your facility like make the best out of that you know exploit every aspect that you've got and make it the best it can be still strive for something better but don't just sit there going well we've got a crap facility so what's the point you know actually make something of it turn some shit into sugar you know make it as good as it can be well some of that footage i use as promo stuff so that's okay the quality of the video is to be desired but that is obviously the point that I, that you're making. That's an extreme. I got on with it. I don't second guess it. It's probably shaped me as a coach in terms of, okay, you've got limited access to equipment because you're housebound because your health is at risk or you live in a part of the world as we do still at the moment that gyms are shut or gyms, uh, depending on the flexibility of the rules, I think is, is evolving day by day. You've got to be flexible. You've got to be adaptable. I think my disabilities help with that as well, because ultimately I had to adjust to find ways what are going to work best for me, even long before I met strength and conditioning coaches. Yeah. So I, I think I probably would 
maybe resolute to say, well, what about this? Trying it this way or, or, or be very much questioning. I think a lot of the, the coaches that I was fortunate to work with over those 10 years, I've probably taken a lot away from, from their style of, uh, of coaching and what the sports that they've had to work with. And I think ultimately it's come back to me what I was going to say with the GB rowing, irrespective of where they're on training camps, even world championships, you got an ergo room in the hotel. So it gives the athlete an option where you can warm up in the hotel. Yeah. Okay. The hotel is completely ours, but that's a different story altogether or down, down at the, at the, at the course. But it gives, I think the, the support staff multiple options to best prepare the athlete for training, recovery, warm up, you name it. Everything is that that, and you can see why that's a well-oiled machine as a program. Mm-hmm. For sure. But obviously, you are spoiled. I think. I think. Well, obviously, when I moved from sport, different sport, yeah, I was spoiled. But I gone from one that's got, well, in the Olympic side, eighty years of pedigree behind it, to going to a Paralympic one that I was fortunate to be one of the very first Brits, that that's now a legacy that they've got on par with the Olympic programme. But I think we're probably going to an extreme with volleyball and very much similar to probably what GB basketball had to face. It's this, well, we we deem that we belong, but obviously the legacy that, well, you still need to prove yourselves. And I think obviously volleyball probably falls a little bit lower than that. But, this is where probably I saw maybe a little bit lacking in just for, for more the Paralympic side, the performance aspects that I probably took for granted from coming from a rowing or swimming background while they've got decades upon decades of, of, of history and obviously resources to pull from. Well, this is the standard that we expect irrespective of where you started from. Whereas maybe with that program, because it's very, it's trying to still hang on to this day. But I think what they're trying to do now should have been done 10 years ago. But that's my only little bit of a, well, it could have done a little bit better. But obviously, like you say, that's that's for the athletes to hold themselves to a a higher standard and things like that. So moving nicely on to my next question for you, Nick, then, and obviously you've got it written down in front of you because I asked you before we started <laughs> recording. Yeah. Obviously with your versatility with coaching, the number amount, uh, number amount of different sports that you have done over your illustrious career, what would be some of your top tips for people training during the current climate? So I think uh, it comes back to this versatility I think that's what you've you've got to look at because people haven't got access to the usual facilities that that they've had previously. So, you know, there's there's limitations in the amount of load that people can shift, um, and you know, you might be restricted to body weight type activities or activities for cardiovascular conditioning that aren't your your normal type, whether it's running or cycling or um, swimming. So, I think that the, the top tip is just 
work work on the fundamentals and you know think about how can you manipulate some of the training variables so you can manipulate the speed of movement that can have a significant impact on the the difficulty of an exercise so you know we can all do push-ups right but if all of a sudden we slow that push-up down considerably to maybe take five seconds to complete each repetition all of a sudden we've, we've got a different stimulus on the body um so changing the tempo the speed of the movement is is one way that you can um adapt what you're doing uh i think looking at the complexity of exercises so you know it's a time to now start looking at whole body compound movements maybe sequencing two or three exercises together in a complex to to make it more physically challenging but also more mentally challenging for you uh, as well and to, to maintain that that interest um you can look at uh, the sequencing so simply after a period of training just simply changing the exercise order the sequence in which you're completing it will stimulate a different adaptation physically uh you can look at unilateral versus bilateral so if you've been doing a lot of body weight bilateral type movements why not go to single arm single leg type activities so i think the the main thing is when i'm when i'm working with other strength and conditioning coaches athletes or, or health professionals physios is there are you know fundamental variables that you can manipulate so you can have the same exercise essentially but change the variables around that exercise to bring about a different stimulus so i think where some people get lost is thinking about a new exercise every session well yeah you could probably have the same derivative and just shift the focus and, and the variables that you're working with um that that would be some of my top tips well some of you you, you brought a nasty thought back into my head with that one in terms of <laughs> the, the derivatives of this and this is a probably circuit that you've probably prescribed as well let's see if I get it right. It was six rounds of, let's see, bench press, bench pull, lat pull down. And this is testing my memory as well, which is quite good. What's the other ones? Row. And I think that's it. So four, I think, and shoulder press is the other one. Obviously, thirty seconds on, thirty seconds off, and you do the set this the sequence on each exercise, the six rounds. And I think with the adaptation that you're talking about, you're starting at a a percentage of your one rep max, and then obviously that it does test your ego because ultimately, with the weight coming down, because obviously uh, you're you're getting muscular fatigue as well as muscular strength. It's very difficult when it's just the bar sometimes. It's like, well, this is still hard. And ultimately, I'll give some people some perspective. We have to do at least minimum of 15 repetitions. So it's, I think, whether or not I could do that now, probably not. I probably wouldn't be so mean to myself, but maybe somebody else. Um, that's a different, a different, probably a different story. But I think the moral of the story is, there's always a, when there's a way that when there's a will there's a way. And I think you, you have to use this versatility of that is even another form of, of training. It's a, a form of a drop set for you and I, but it, it's taking a cardio cardiovascular element into strength and conditioning as well. Yeah. So I think um, 
I think again, what people have to be is, is just adaptable. You, you may only have a garage to train out of. You may only have a couple of dumbbells or an, an old bike. But you know, with a little bit of creativity, you can come up with some good conditions. There, there will always be a limit to the certain types of physical adaptations you can do with kind of body weight or minimal loaded equipment. It's always going to be more toward uh, a strength endurance, muscular endurance, or or if you're doing less reps, more of a, a power sort of activity. So there's there's going to be only so many strength gains you can get as a, as an athlete, and we've certainly seen that with some of the athletes that I work with coming back out of lockdown. You know they've kept generally fit, uh, which is which is great, but you know there are probably one or two force characteristics, maximum strength, maximum power, that they've not really been able to tackle during this period of time because you just don't have sufficient load or, or what you need to, to get after that. So you can certainly keep yourself in good shape at the moment with a little bit of creativity. Do you think for the Aura athletes more specifically, they've changed in body type as well then? Um, I think, uh, if I'm thinking about the athletes, they've, they've maintained where they're at actually. I think, again, it comes down to the discipline that you'd have as an athlete. Uh, probably in the early days, it's very easy to sit and uh, bake all the cakes and eat all the banana bread. Um, but I think if you've got anything about you as an athlete, very quickly you're going to realise actually that's not sustainable for 8, 12, 15 weeks. You know, at some point you're going to have to start training. So I think there's, there's probably quite a nice honeymoon period of, of 10, 10 days to two weeks of when athletes first went into lockdown thinking, well, I can eat all the cake or I can. Uh, just take it easy, but I think most athletes would um, get back on it because they know they know ultimately at some point they're going to come back into training, um, and you can't play yourself into shape. You've got to come in in shape already. And and do you think obviously some athletes documented it very well during, during the lockdown? I think um, K, K, uh, KJT obviously Catherine Johnson Tom. No, it's the wrong way around. Catherine Thompson. Can't, can't get her name out. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, but yeah, Catherine. Exactly, yeah. Johnson Thompson. Yeah. Obviously, she was being very brutal to herself, uh, be it using, well, she was out in France or southern France at the beginning, come back to the northwest and, and, and used. Uh, are all stomping grounds and utilizing like hill sprints and things like that. So do you think that versatility of using, if you've got it at your disposal, using your environment as well to yeah, use this training? Yeah, 100%. 100%. There's so much that you can do. I think, I think that might actually be an issue for some of the, the bigger, the bigger gym franchises uh, may actually find that a little bit of a problem. I, I don't think so much the more, the smaller independent gyms that give a more personal service and do more one-to-one and actual coaching. So I think some of your more performance-based gyms will, will still thrive post-lockdown. I think some of your bigger gyms where people have just been going in and kind of going through the motions on a, on a weekly basis because they have a membership. I think a lot of those people have realized, actually, I can go out on my bike and go for a ride. I can actually, I can train in my gym, in my house or on my garage or my back garden. So I think, Again, those bigger bigger box gyms are probably going to have to evolve and go after their membership in a, in a, in a different way um, because there's a lot of general public realising probably for the first time, actually, 
I could save myself 30, 40, 50 pounds a month and do a lot of this at home, you know. Why, why do you think that evolution process, obviously it's taken an extreme for people to realise that. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think we just, uh, may- maybe it's because the perception is that, you know, we, I think over time we, we, we go to a, a gym to, to keep in shape. I think that's the perception of, of the masses. Um, and they were geared up for people to go in and, you know, you can go on your cross trainer and watch TV and it's all quite comfortable. And I, and I think maybe the thought or the perception of going for a run or going out on the bike is you've got to have a lot of specialized equipment and it's cold and it's wet or it's inconvenient. And, and, I, and I guess, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, isn't it? So I, I think necessity has meant that people have realized actually I'm going to dust off my old bike in the garage and actually I quite enjoy going out for a ride. That might change when the winter comes, you know, because we have been in the summer and it's, and it's been nice weather. But I think there will, will be a shift away from maybe some of those big box gyms. Uh, and I think I, I certainly know independent facilities or, or people that train in those big box gyms have fitted out their garages. They've bought racks, they've bought plates, you know. So they're probably going to be sitting there thinking, well, I've invested a significant amount of money, maybe a year's worth of gym membership on fitting my garage out. Actually, I've got everything I need here now, so I'll just stay and do it here. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it might affect the bigger brands rather than the smaller ones. I think the independent gyms could do well out of it or, or come back in, in the same sort of state if they've got more of an athletic population they work with. Um, and from you being, obviously, working at every stage of, of, of performance, be it from amateur stages all the way up, mm-hmm. why do you think some people are going to struggle with the mindset when it comes to the winter? Um, because it's uncomfortable. People, were, ultimately, we're quite a lazy <laughs> race. You know, we, we want comfort. So we've, we've, we've gone to great lengths over hundreds of years to create the easiest world possible, you know, cars, planes, we don't like to do stuff that's, that's difficult. So I think, um, like everyone can train when it's nice, nice weather. Um, I did an event across Scotland, uh, last year with my friend, um, which is a combination of running, kayaking and, and cycling on and off road. Uh, we did it the year before and it was glorious weather. It was beautiful. Uh, and we had a, we had a great old time of it. Um, this year, the, the last one we did, the weather was horrific. And I mean horrific. It was the wind, the rain, it was terrific. And you're out for sort of 12 hours um, in it. And I remember saying to my mate, you know, a lot of these people are just not going to like this. They're, they're going to they're gonna bin it off because it's, it's getting uncomfortable now. You know, it wasn't a pleasant experience to be out in the elements in the Scottish Highlands for, for 12 hours. Um, and undoubtedly, there were people on that course that were fitter, stronger, faster than myself and my colleague that dropped out because it became uncomfortable, cold, wet, you know, all, all those sorts of tired, all those sorts of things. And, and you could see it happening around you. People just didn't have the resilience and, and the grit to, to push through and, and, and finish. So I think, you know, that's, that's what we'll probably see to an extent when the, when the weather starts to close in around September and October, if we're still in a similar sort of situation. You think you thrive in that kind of environment though? You personally? I'm not sure whether I thrive. 
Um, my I've got an older brother who definitely has a switch um, that he can turn and and can just endure. Um, I think I've probably got an element of uh, a certain element of stubbornness, I guess, um, and I certainly enjoyed seeing the people around me suffering. So it's like, so I'm on I'm on the bike trying to go up this, and and it's hard and I'm suffering but I know that the person in front of me or I've just gone past is, is suffering as well and actually they're not dealing with it as 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 well as I am so um yeah I wouldn't I'm not one of these people that chooses to do like I'd love to have done it in nice weather um but equally uh, I'm, I'm probably not going to shy away from a little bit of discomfort um it doesn't all have to be nice and um fluffy for us I don't, I don't mind a bit of pain and and a, and a challenge and, and we both uh, when we finished the ride it and, and the event you know it's like we were like we've actually, that's actually a proper challenge that we've just done there you know the previous year we'd done it and, and it was hard physically challenging but we felt like we'd done something proper at the end of that one it was a proper grizz so my penultimate question to you nick is then if you had to get had an opportunity to sit with any athlete dead or alive, who would that yeah. be and why? I've only got one. Oh, um, oh, that's a good question. One athlete dead or alive? Because as soon as I say a name, I'm going to instantly think of someone else that I'd that I'd really like to sit and talk to um i just he, he was a i have i have met him once but um like one of my childhood heroes was, was daily thompson uh came from near where i live i would see him training at our local track um obviously watch his exploits in the olympics and um not only was he a phenomenal athlete, he was a little bit on the edge uh, for the establishment, and I quite like that. Uh, another one of my favourites at the time was Steve Ovet as well, and, and similar, you know, I think you're either a Seb Co person or a Steve Ovet. I was definitely a Steve Ovet fan. Again, a little bit cheeky, would do things that weren't quite um, what the establishment would like, but would deliver. Um, so, uh, yeah, it'd be David Thompson because. He's just an absolute legend. He's one of the few people I remember when um, it was the Commonwealth Games in Manchester in 2002, one of the first people, one of the first major games that I'd kind of gone to was a multi-sport game. And lots of people were getting very excited as you walk around the village of spotting superstar athletes. And all the sort of contemporary modern day ones didn't really bother me. And then I saw Dave Thompson walk it and like, that was it. I was a mess because it was just, for me, you know, I thought he was an awesome athlete. And my final question before we wrap up the show then, is yeah. you have to summarise what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away. What would that be? You ask a lot of questions, don't you? Um, one sentence. I'm terrible at one sentence. Um, I think it's... So I'll take a couple of titles. So the, I think what we've been talking about is like the obstacle is the way. 
So that comes from Ryan Halliday's book and it's that, that idea of stoicism. So the obstacle is the way and get good at um, planning the unpredictable, you know, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I don't know if that's a sentence. That's just like some statements, but hopefully that, that, I think that's what we've been talking about really is planned unpredictability. So once again, Nick, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for inviting us on, James. Must be my pleasure. Take care. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Nick and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at Nick Grantham underscore coach. So that's N-I-C-K-G-R-A-N-T-H-A-M underscore coach and at James O Roberts 11. And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And in addition, if you had any follow-up questions, don't hesitate to shoot them over as well. And finally, don't forget to check him out on his website, www.nickgrantham.com. And as always, don't forget to check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and click on the tab resources. But not forgetting, I've also started a new Facebook group, especially for the podcast, which you can find by typing in The Mindset Athlete. And last but not least... And not forgetting, I've also rebranded my other Facebook group to adapt, master and improve your exercise and diet to help you lose £10 plus. So make sure to check those links out. They will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipsum.com under the category general. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.